BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. School of Humans. On August 9th, 1721, a Scottish surgeon named Charles Maitland performed an experiment on six convicted criminals at Newgate Prison in London. There was Mary North, a self-professed lunatic and shoplifter, Anne Tampion, the best pickpocket in London, John Cawthry, who had stolen three wigs, John Alcock, horse thief, Richard Evans, stealer of Persian silk, and Elizabeth Harrison, who took 62 guineas from her mistress. All of them were relatively young, and all were condemned to banishment or death for their crimes. Using a technique he'd learned from an old woman in Constantinople, Maitland sliced open the prisoner's arms and legs. Then he rubbed smallpox matter into the open wounds. This was called smallpox inoculation, a procedure meant to get the prisoners a bit sick in order to protect them from a more dangerous bout of smallpox. 25 or so well-known scientists from the Royal Society witnessed the operation, and each of the prisoners were observed for weeks after to see if they developed full-blown smallpox. The experiment was a success. None of the six prisoners got very sick. And in return for their participation, they were pardoned. But there was still a remaining question. Now that they had recovered from a mild bout of smallpox, were they protected from getting the disease again? So Charles Maitland hired one of the newly pardoned criminals, 19-year-old Elizabeth Harrison. First, he had Harrison nurse a woman with severe smallpox. And when she didn't get sick, Maitland had her care for a 10-year-old boy with smallpox. He even had Harrison sleep in the same bed with the boy for six weeks. Considering the devastation smallpox could cause to your body and mind, this was a frightening prospect. But she still didn't get sick. Today, we might call what Elizabeth Harrison went through a human challenge trial. That's when a healthy person is purposefully infected so that researchers can study a disease or a treatment or prevention for that disease. Of course, to put it mildly, in Harrison's case, there are major ethical questions about her status as a prisoner sentenced to hang. 
and the power imbalance that created, about whether or not she was a volunteer. But that aside, there are really good arguments today for infecting actual volunteers with specific diseases in order to more efficiently and quickly fight them. Infect a few to help many. And in this episode, we're going to speak with someone who volunteered to do just that. A young British man who is one of the first people on Earth to purposefully contract COVID-19. From iHeartRadio and School of Humans, I'm Sean Revive, and this is Longshot. In April 2020, an organization called One Day Sooner was founded in order to advocate for human challenge trials. That's the number, one, day, sooner. Here's one of their ambassadors to describe what they do. One Day Sooner is a global organization that advocates for the process of human challenge trials, amongst other things. We are very concerned with... No. <laughs> Because uh, again, this was like this is not me speaking. This is me speaking for somebody else. So I want to be a good, you know, ambassador. That's Thomas Smiley, and he is a very good ambassador for One Day Sooner. He's 35, and he lives in Cincinnati, where he works as a testing specialist. He tests metals for the aerospace industry. Sometimes actual doors and propellers, and you know, seat belts and harnesses and things. And we just put them on our machines, expose them to a certain amount of stress and forces and heat, and just do that for hours on end to verify the strength of the material, the failure rate, things of that nature, all the material properties of it. When coronavirus started spreading around the U.S., Thomas wanted to help. But even though he's a smart and willing person, he knew his ability to do so was kind of limited. I'm not a virologist. I'm not a person that's going to go out and create a vaccine. My best trait that I had was giving my time to science, giving my service to science, and being able to let people study the virus under the guise of giving my time to be part of a human challenge trial. One Day Sooner was founded to advocate for human challenge trials in order to speed up the development of the COVID-19 vaccines and to represent volunteers who want to participate in these trials. Remarkably, They've had almost 40,000 people from more than 150 countries sign up as potential volunteers. The idea was that clinical trials, in general, but especially during a pandemic, just take too long. You need to design the studies, get approval for them, recruit thousands of people, follow them for months, if not years, and then interpret the results once enough of the participants have gotten sick. And maybe after all that, the trial is still a failure. But with a human challenge trial, you can give a much smaller number of volunteers a prospective vaccine, one that is believed to be safe, expose them to the coronavirus, and see if they get sick. That could theoretically take just months or even weeks. But why would anyone actually do this? Why would they sign up to be a participant, risk their own health, their life even? Here's Thomas to explain his reasoning for doing just that when coronavirus hit the U.S. There was a lot of fear. There was an incredible amount of uncertainty. And there was an incredible amount of financial and life destruction that went on. We've evolved to a point where we at least understand that 
the greater good is necessary in some of these times when, when it's this dire. Thomas thought he'd be a good candidate for a trial, so he signed up with one day sooner as a volunteer in case any human challenge trials were going to take place in the United States. I have no kids. I have no major responsibilities. Nobody really relies on me. I'm not in that position where I have a great deal to lose if something adverse were to happen to me. And when I heard that I could be the the subject of, of this study, I, I, I didn't blink. I said, of course, this more utilitarian. This is a thing that I can do to advance the masses. This is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few kind of situation. But there have not been any trials in the U.S. Various powers that be decided it would be unethical to deliberately expose people to coronavirus, even young and healthy volunteers like Thomas. In the U.K., however, medical ethics authorities approved a human challenge trial early this year. By then, dozens of coronavirus vaccines were being developed, and some vaccines were already being distributed worldwide. But there were still major benefits to holding a human challenge trial. And we found one of the participants. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Maybe you can just quickly tell me, uh, you know, what, what is your name and your age and, and where you were speaking to us from? Yeah, uh, so my name's uh, Jacob, or Jake Hopkins. Um, I'm 23 years old, and I'm in the Midlands in the UK, so a town called Tamworth, which is just outside the city of Birmingham, so right in the middle of the country. Uh, should I call you Jacob? Yeah, Jacob, Jake, whatever's easier, both fine for me. Jake Hopkins is probably the first person to get COVID on purpose, and he's going to tell us how that happened and why it happened. But first, let me tell you a bit about Jake. Or about Jake a year and a half ago, when coronavirus hit the UK. He's got dyed blonde hair and a bunch of tattoos. I have loads. I have like kind of like a whale here. It's a rose. I've got a rose piece just there. I have some like antlers, kind of like kind of like floral things. Like it's antlers trying to buy like clothes of like kind of like wildflowers. So when coronavirus first hits the UK, 
Jake is at university, studying history and living with some friends. But the school shuts down around Easter 2020, and he goes home to live with his parents. He gets a job at a supermarket. I just got myself a job just to work, to keep myself busy. Anything really tills, stocking shelves, working delivery, like just general stuff all around the store. So, like everyone else at the beginning of the pandemic, he's home and kind of bored. But then he reads about something called human challenge trials. I remember literally I was just sitting at home one night, scrolling through like Facebook or whatever, Instagram, whatever. And this ad popped up to be part of this clinical trial for COVID, you know, a human challenge trial. I kind of signed up instantly, really. Like, I had no, really had no idea what human trial trials were, other than that, like, that brief description they gave when you signed up. So I kind of went in a bit blind. He signs up to be a volunteer in June 2020, along with thousands of other people, including me, for the record. In January, the company that actually runs the trial, HVivo, brings them in for a pre screening at their clinic in London. The idea is to make sure Jake's healthy enough to participate in a trial if he's selected. He gets a full physical, they check his blood, check his heart, check his lung capacity. They do a urinalysis test, which is awful because I knew that was coming up, so they tell you to drink a lot of water beforehand. And I was in that, I did that, and there was such a long wait. Like, I actually, I ended up going to one of the nurses being like, look, we need to do this now, otherwise I'm going to wet myself. Like, you know, like, can we just get this bit done? February 2021 is when the authorities in the UK approve the trial. But Jake doesn't know if he'll be a part of it. It's weird how passionate I became about these trials and like how much I learned and how desperately I wanted to do them. So when they actually got that call and they were like, yeah, you're actually going to be part of this, I just like, I was happy, weirdly. Like, I was like, oh, God, I'm actually going to be part of this thing that I've wanted to be part of for so long now. And I know relief is probably a bad word to me because COVID, but it was a bit of a relief because it's like, I can, I can actually do this now. And this is thing I wanted to be part of so long is like happening. So it's official. He's been selected to participate in a trial in a London hospital. But first, he has to isolate at home for a few days. And he also has to do some informed consent meetings where a doctor or someone else working on the trial explains again and again what the trial is and what the risks are. There's a lot of consent meetings throughout the trial. They really want to make sure Jake knows what he's getting into. And then one really long one, that's about two and a half hours, where basically they go through this massive, uh, like, 35-page document, which they send over to you, and they read the whole thing word by word to you, and you have to read it with them, and, like, you have to sign relevant boxes at certain points to make sure you understand what's going on. As part of his self-quarantine before the trial, Jake has to stop working at the supermarket for at least a month, but his bosses are super cool about it. But thankfully, they were really understanding and like really happy and willing to let me do it because I think we understood that as you know part of a great good sort of thing. I would say like extra nervous of getting COVID because you know if I caught it, it'd eliminate me from even this trial, which like I just didn't want to happen. So like I was at work and I was wearing like three masks at the same time and all that sort of stuff like that, just to kind of like take every precaution necessary to make sure I didn't catch it. So in the final days before going to the hospital, he says his goodbyes to friends gives a few interviews to journalists, and tries to convince his family that he's going to be okay. Oh, no. <laughs> no, they, were, um, they weren't happy about it. They were, like, happy for me in the sense, like, you know, they know how bad I wanted to do it and, like, glad I was going in. But I think they were secretly hoping either the trials wouldn't go ahead or I would be disqualified for some reason. The trial people don't want him using public transport. Too much of a risk that he'll contract coronavirus. So on March 6th, 
a taxi shows up at Jake's house around 5.30 in the morning. It's a long ride to London, so Jake and the driver chatted up. It turns out that the taxi driver has lost a friend and his father to COVID. You kind of reaffirmed the reason why I was doing it sort of thing like that, because it's awful now lives have been lost and like these sort of things are the things that can stop it. Jake is dropped off at London's Royal Free Hospital early that morning. And then I was like taken up into this into their quarantine ward and then put into my room. And it was like, you are like a secure package, like passed around sort of thing about like trying to avoid any exposure. About 40 others will also be going through this trial. All of them are between the ages of 18 and 30, and all are healthy. Since several vaccines, like Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca, have already been approved for use in the UK and countries across the world, this human challenge trial is focused on something else. They call it a dose optimization study. One of the goals is to learn how much or I guess how little, coronavirus is needed to infect at least half of the volunteers. They also hope to learn more about COVID-19 immunity and the disease's effects on the body. By studying infected volunteers before, during, and after their infection, they can get a more granular look at the virus. And that can help with future vaccine and treatment development and just generally give insight into how the virus works. So you, you get into your room and by this point it's like 8am and they bring you some breakfast and then the doctor comes in and they do the same informed consent meeting, the two hour one that I did of the Zoom. They do that again with you, but in person. And again, it's just, again, tick all the boxes, you know, make sure you understand what you're getting in for. And then you have your first lot of tests and that is it. The doors are shut and that's it. You don't leave. And his new home isn't bad. It's got a TV, a PlayStation, a decent amount of space his own bathroom and shower. The floors and walls are blue like a typical hospital room. It's got an antechamber with an airlock type thing where nurses get into their respirators and gowns before coming in. And then luckily you have huge windows, like the main, the whole wall is almost pretty much all window. You get a great view across London. Like I could see the London Eye um, and all that from right from my room, which is a really nice thing to have. At around 6 a.m. each day, they take his blood and a nasal swab. And the rest of the day is filled with more tests. On day three, they do the inoculation. That's when they infect Jake with coronavirus. It wasn't until about half 11 in the morning where like one of the nurses came in and was like, okay, so we're going to um, inoculate you in about an hour now. This is your last chance now to kind of like back out. Like, are you sure you want to do this sort of thing like that? And I was like, yeah, like I still want to go ahead. So the nurse hands Jake a big pair of goggles and says, see you in an hour. That hour between from like half 11 to about half 12 when I came in was like just nerves and excitement and just like I was calling home being like, I'm in, I'm in, like I'm, it's going ahead, like, you know, like all my friends and stuff. Yeah, like it was probably like the longest hour of my life. Around noon, the nurse and other staff come back into Jake's room. The experience of getting COVID is the most surreal thing in the world. The door's open and, like, there's, like, five people in these big hoods, you know, respirator things, like, like a horde almost walking towards you sort of thing like that. And they were wheeling behind in this, like, this trolley with, like, this big red big red box in it that, uh, you know, with biohazard all over it, which contains the coronavirus. The virus solution comes in a chilled plastic bag, kind of like a blood bag. They then ask you to lie on your back with your head hanging over your bed, which you do. And then all these people are standing over you, and it's like, it's intimidating. It's like, Jesus Christ, like, this is, like, intense. 
and they get this huge pipette. It's like almost like a turkey base, like it's a massive pipette they have. They pick it up and they, they get the solution inside it and then like they start counting down. So they count down from 20, which just adds to the suspense, really. And um, they kind of like drop it in each nostril, so they kind of drop it around the outside of one nostril and then do the other. And then they wait and they count down from 20 again. And then they repeat. It's a long count, it really builds up the tension. And like you can feel the solution going right back to your nostril, um, and then like down your throat basically as well. And then once it's done, you have to lay there for ten minutes with your head hanging back. And they're just there, they're just talking amongst themselves, really, like checking, make sure they did all the procedures right. Like kind of just laying there in silence, like just thinking, oh my god, I've just been infected with coronavirus, and like it kind of the reality kind of hits in at that point. They put a clip on Jake's nose, like something a beginning swimmer might use and he has to wear it for 20 minutes so nothing drops out. So Jake's sitting there in his room with a clip around his nose, and then everyone realizes it's a pretty big moment. Because I was the world's first, they were kind of like excited about it as I was. It was kind of like a lot of like high fives, like, woo, you just got COVID, like, you know, like, you know, really excited like that. And then they leave, and like, and then that's it. You're kind of like infected with coronavirus, and at that point, you're going nowhere for at least two weeks because you can't leave a quarantine unit until like you're obviously testing negative. The next few days are filled with more tests, nurses and doctors checking his blood, and taking nasal swabs, that kind of thing. The inoculation was on Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, and most of Thursday, Jake feels fine. Since one of the points of the study is to see how little coronavirus one needs to get infected, Jake starts wondering if he didn't get enough virus, if he didn't get infected at all. But on Thursday, after his third nasal swab of the day, he gets news. Being the first person ever and part of the first group, I was getting the smallest, like, you know, the most diluted dose they have. So, like, I wasn't sure whether I'll even catch an infection because even because they dropped it on my nose, didn't mean it was actually going to take. But, yeah, and they came to my room and, like, they were like, so... You've tested positive two times in a row now, and we're going to start you on remdesivir. Remdesivir is a drug originally developed to treat hepatitis C, which became a part of some treatment programs for COVID-19. But Jake still didn't feel sick when they started the treatment. Even though I knew I was technically positive, I didn't feel any side effects of it. Like, I still felt fine. On Thursday night, he starts feeling cold. At first, he thinks the air conditioning is just too strong. Then he wakes up feeling a lot colder. And I woke up 10 times colder. I had full body aches. I felt really run down, rough over, like really high temperature, but like feeling really cold, like general feverish stuff. And then he gets even sicker. Because like mine was kind of like abnormal and a bit too wrong. Um, my temperature was too high. My respiratory rate was too high. And um, they actually moved me to hourly vitals. Uh, it's like they were coming in every hour to do more just to keep monitoring me because like I was a bit like off the charts. The symptoms just, the thing was swollen, the symptoms just came on like a cliff dive. Like I went from having like nothing to being fine to literally like brick wall hitting me like really ill. That lasts about two days. And then it went away just quick. Like, you know, I went to bed on Saturday night feeling really rough and I woke up the Sunday and it was like a healed almost straight away. Like, you know, I woke up feeling fine as it was before. One of his daily activities is a smell test. Basically, a scratch-and-sniff book filled with pictures of things that you scratch and smell. 
like an onion or wood or gasoline. But then, a week after his first COVID symptoms, he loses his sense of smell. At this point, I've been working these books for like over a week by the, at this point. Like, you know, I knew the answers before I even snapped it because like it was the same books every time. And that's what really actually let me know that my smell was gone because like I'd scratch it and I'd, but I would already know what it is and I'd smell it and like there'd be just nothing there at all. Like not a thing. His smell doesn't come back until about five days later. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Human challenge trials have been used a lot in the past. Some ethical, some not. Edward Jenner created the first-ever vaccine for smallpox and tested it on his gardener's 8-year-old son, He deliberately exposed the boy to smallpox, but he didn't get sick. There have also been challenge trials for flu throughout the past 80 years, and as recently as the late 2000s. And there have been challenge trials for cholera, malaria, typhoid, and dengue fever. It's not a new thing. Among the arguments against human challenge trials is that they expose healthy people to unacceptably high risks. But in normal life, non-pandemic life, we're happy to have people exposed to risks. Think about volunteer firefighters running into burning buildings, EMTs, doctors, and nurses, just at the beginning of this pandemic alone, and how much they risked. We don't tell them all to stay home because we know the benefits of their services. We also know the benefits of human challenge trials. And yet for COVID, at least in the US, We just didn't do them. I spoke with a bioethicist named Nir Eyal at Rutgers University. He was a co-author on the first paper suggesting that human challenge trials should be used to test coronavirus vaccines. That was back in March 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Remember, people were talking about horizons of five years, at least one and a half years for developing vaccines. And we thought that human challenge trials would expedite the process. That was the main benefit of arriving at vaccines at the 
and the potential end of COVID, which is a very important thing, obviously, you know, to, to reach. Nier says that the reason we haven't done human challenge trials is that the powers that be simply haven't properly weighed the risks versus rewards. Not even close, he says. Overall, we had a skewed, um, excessively uh, precautious approach to the risk in these uh, challenge trials compared to our actual approaches in many other areas of life. We're talking here about thousands, millions of lives. How can this be regarded as too risky with an adult participant's fully informed and comprehending consent? Nier also believes that even though we have vaccines now, it doesn't mean there's no reason left for challenge trials, particularly when it comes to future pandemics. Here, he gives a hypothetical example of what we could have done to get vaccines faster for COVID-19 and what we should do for the next virus outbreak. Our chances of having the next pandemic are just as high now as they were before COVID. COVID did not spare us of the next thing, and it's just a proof that those things can happen. If I could advise people what now what to do, I would say the minute you hear that there is a pandemic, so back in January, before we even wrote, back in January 2020, start growing virus, start preparing a protocol, start working just in case it will be needed so that you know, if we did that in January, then a month or two after we wrote, one could have started a human challenge trial and gotten a very reliable read on the impact of these vaccines on infections, information about the so-called correlates of protection, the duration of immunity, long before the trials that authorized the vaccines uh, took place. Nier also says that challenge trials can run alongside the more standard clinical trials. It's smart to run both, to basically throw all of our spaghetti pieces at the problem. There's so much value in getting any piece of information quicker and more reliably on a pandemic. So many human lives are going to be lost if we get things inaccurately or if we get them later. Jake went into the trial with the intention of getting a lot done while he was quarantined in the room. Like, he wanted to take a sign language course. But there are so many tests every day that he doesn't have big chunks of time. Instead, he watches a lot of Netflix and Zooms with friends and family. He's not allowed to leave until at least two weeks after the day he was inoculated with the virus. But even then, they're testing him to see how much virus is left in his system, and he's got a bit too much. So they keep him a couple extra days. Then, on the 19th day in the hospital, around 4 in the afternoon, they tell Jake he can go home. He's got an hour to pack up and get ready. It was so rushed. Because you have to put everything you wear, you have to put into these biohazard bags, because, like, everything can be infectious technically. So, like, you know, you can't pack the same way you packed in because you can't fold your clothes into the case because you're just dumped into these big red bags they give you. So you end up leaving with all these bags and, like, you have to shower to get everything, wash everything off you. You have to strip everything in your room, put into, like, like all your bedding and stuff that they provided. You have to put that into biohazard bags as well for them to keep. And then he finally leaves the room and the weirdest thing happens. So I leave my room pretty much the first time in like 18 days I've left this room and I'm walking down this corridor in the the hospital ward and and all the doctors and nurses that I look after they kind of come out and kind of just like clap as you're walking out which is like a really just it's mental 
all the doctors and nurses have come from there thanking you, but like, you know, you're also thanking them because they took care of you for all this time. Kind of like this line of people like clapping as you're walking out, which is like, why? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a really weird sort of thing. Jake gets one last CT scan and then is pushed through the hospital in a wheelchair all the way to his taxi. When you actually leave a hospital and you go outside, like, that was the first time I breathed fresh air in like three weeks, you know what I mean? Like over that. You kind of get outside and you kind of, you kind of want to go for a run, you know what I mean? Like enjoy the outdoors, but like you kind of put straight into this taxi and sent off home. And then you just back home and like it's, it's just weird. Like you go from being this huge thing. When one day you've gone from being in hospital, apart from this huge human challenge trial, but it's like a really significant thing to back sleeping in your own, in your own bed. After, especially after being clapped out of the hospital, I kind of expected a really like triumphant return home and like, you know, everybody excited. And like, I kind of got there and my mum was kind of like, hi. And I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> and I was kind of like, hey, we hugged and we said hi. And I was kind of like, I went to bed. Going home is a bit bizarre for Jake. He spent so long wanting to be part of this trial that when it's finally over, he doesn't know what to want next. And I was like, I kind of dead to the world for at least a few days after that because like just exhausted and in a way, a little bit emotional from it. He goes back to work at the supermarket, and his co-workers get him some beers and some pretty appropriate chocolates. And they also got me a brand of these chocolates here that are called Heroes. It's like a selection box, and um, they got me that, and they got me to hold the box up being like Hero, and they're like, if you're over here, and I was like, oh, it's so cheesy. <laughs> Jake the Hero is now fully recovered from all his COVID symptoms. And the human challenge trial he participated in will officially end sometime next year. The trial and his work volunteering for one day sooner have made Jake rethink what he wants to do with his life. He told me he's now interested in working in effective altruism, using evidence and logic to help others in the most effective way through charity. He'll continue to go in for follow-up appointments until March 2022. And then his particular contribution to coronavirus science will be over. Thomas Smiley still volunteers for one day sooner. But he's now vaccinated and won't be participating in any coronavirus human challenge trials, even if the U.S. does start doing them. And he still believes they should be done. We need to know more. We need to be able to kind of rid ourselves of this. And that's not going to happen anytime really, quote unquote, soon. So there's a place for challenge trials. There's a place for more vaccines. There's a place for speeding up the process of new vaccines. There's a place for understanding variants. There's a place for understanding correlates of protection. There's a place for understanding some people's natural immunity to it. We need to know all these things. And challenge trials can help that because we can narrow those factors down. We can isolate variables and really pinpoint what's good and what's bad. So we don't have to concern ourselves with what may happen. Thomas finds a lovely comparison between his passion, advocating for human challenge trials, and his day job, stress testing metals for airplanes. From a person that is literally testing unknown alloys at, in some points in his day, literally, we don't know if this will hold up to this many PSI. We don't know if it will hold up under this kind of heat. We have no idea if this corrosion will make the, the thing weaker or stronger. This coating will do have this effect on it. Well, can we just put it in the air? Can we just make a plane out of this? 
No, of course not. That's preposterous. You have to test these things. And there's really no better way to do so than doing a live test. There are some sacrifices you're going to have to make, and there are some trials you're going to have to go through and failures that might have to happen regarding those. But failure is always progress in a certain sense. On the next episode of Long Shot, we'll speak with an American living in Sweden who had to do the unthinkable during quarantine. Long Shot is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. Today's episode of Long Shot was produced, written, and narrated by me, Sean Revive. My co-producer is Gabby Watts. Special thanks to Noel Brown at iHeartRadio, Abby Rorig at One Day Sooner, and Alistair Fraser Urquhart. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and L.C. Crowley. Longshot was scored by Jason Shannon. The score was mixed by Vic Stafford. Sound design and audio mix was by Harper Harris with Tune Welders. School of Humans. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.